Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilovas. What we do here on this podcast is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time. You join us for episode four of our little mini season uh, Schwartzman Summer, where we are looking at a, a wide variety of Jason Schwartzman films. So if this is your first time listening uh, to this podcast or to this season, more specifically, so far we have covered Spun, an early Jason Schwartzman film. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, where Jason Schwartzman takes a villain turn. And Fantastic Mr. Fox, where we get a voice performance from Mr. Schwartzman. Uh, so we thought this week, uh, which is episode 50 of Coppola Connections as well. Wow, we I've done 50 of these bad boys. There's been some uh, diversions here and there. We've gone back to some new Nicolas Cage films. We've revisited some old Nicolas Cage films. We've done a lot of interviews and we've had a lot of fun. But yeah, 50 episodes of this. Wow, we uh, back to what I was talking about. This week we are looking at a uh, some of the like a cameo, a very a very bit part of uh, Jason Schwartzman's career with Big Eyes, uh, written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, and uh, directed by Tim Burton. Those guys teaming up again after uh, maybe what like ten years? No, twenty years. Yeah, 20 years from where Ed Wood. So, yeah, it's a, a little reunion there. But I am joined, as I am, ev- ev- as ever, by a guest to chat about this film. And the guest joining me, you may have heard him if you're if you're a regular listener to this podcast. You may have heard him just yesterday uh, joining me to talk about the release of Red Rock West on Blu-ray and DVD now via Signal One. Please pick it up because it is the first time I've ever got to contribute to a physical media release and I'm very excited about it. But uh, you would have heard the voice of Ian Schultz who, writ the book, who wrote the booklet 
for that release as well. So yeah, Ian's joining me this week to talk all about the stranger than fiction tale that is Big Eyes. Uh, all the regular spoiler warnings do apply. We talk about the film in all of its details, all of its sordid, sordid details. This one was actually recorded before I came up with the idea of Schwartzman Summer, so you won't hear in the intro to the film itself any reference to um, Schwartzman Summer. This one was recorded before and kind of gave me the idea of, oh, Schwartzman Summer, that sounds pretty cool. Let's do a whole season just looking at Jason Schwartzman films. He's got quite a lot as well, and it's a nice way to to just delve into his filmography for a brief period of time. Well, with all of that out of the way, I guess all that's left to do is to try and take the art world by storm. Hope your spouse doesn't take your art for their own as we make some Coppola connections. Jason Schwartzman, here we come, right back where we started from. Jason Schwartzman. This week, we're taking the art world by storm by looking at the two weird to not be a true story of Margaret and Walter Keane in Tim Burton's 2014 biographical drama, Big Eyes. The film is written by Scott Alexander and Larry, I always get this name wrong, uh, Kowalski and stars Karazuski. Karazuski. You might actually listen to this, so we should probably pronounce his name (laughs) correctly. (laughs) I know him slightly on Facebook, (laughs) so... So, Larry Kara... Oh, well, now, now it's in my head. Karazuski. Larry Kara... I've got, I've, I've, got, I've got a weird to pronounce surname as well. So, uh, uh, I, I, I'm... Right, let me try that again. Right. Can you tell me the name one last time? Just so he's... Larry Karazuski. Karazuski. All right. Perfect. The film is written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karazuski. And stars Amy Adams, Christoph Waltz, Danny Houston, Kristen Ritter, and today's Coppola collection, Jason Schwartzman. To determine if the Coppola family are a world-class bunch of artists, or just a load of hacks putting their names to other people's greatness, is writer Ian Schultz. How are you today, Ian? You well? I'm okay. It's... uh... Nothing, 95 degrees or something in the UK? Yes, we, we, we are recording this on... What is looking to be like one of the, the the hottest days in recorded history in this country? Also, they always say that. It seems like a fact they wheel out every year, right? When it's hot, they're like, "It's the hottest day since records began." Well, um, I write for the psych site Psychotronic Cinema. Uh, that's my main site, but I've written for Little White Lies in the past. Uh, the site who I mainly write for that's not mine is D Movies. I've also started doing some stuff for Film Hounds magazine. I just did the interview with John Waters. And kind of the, my Coppola connection and uh, why this kind of happened is I wrote one of I wrote the booklet for the Signal One release of Red Rock West, which will be out in about a month's time, I think. It's the twenty second of August, yes. Yeah. About a month's time. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. So um yeah, how did 
did you I, I i should ask you about that um that that booklet did you it was it something you had had pre-written anyway just kind of kicking about like what was it? well um they announced it quite a long time ago yes and i had kind of been badgering them for a while to let me do one and that kind of came up and i had done the one for bfi for dementia I actually wrote this one before that, so that was kind of my dry run for writing a booklet for a, a Blu-ray release. Uh-huh. So when I did the Dementia one, when I was like, oh, can I write the one for Dementia? Because I really love that movie and stuff. Is I actually sent the Red Rock West one as like a, you know... Proof of concept, yeah. Yeah. Uh, proof of yeah, proof of concept sort of thing. And that's what kind of got me that. And then it eventually came around that it was going to come out, so... And it took a while for them to see they could use it, but they have used it. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. It's been cut down a bit, but <laughs> yeah, I had um, I kind of really to the wire, and we'll get into it at a later time. I think I'm going to have both you and Mark Searby on the podcast at some point when that release is near, so we can kind of cool, cool, big up the release and kind of talk about our respective journeys, maybe in a bit more detail of how we came came to be on that release and kind of I don't know. Uh, yeah, how great that movie is! I always love to. I love to. It's my favorite Nicolas Cage performance. Yeah, always love to. Always love to talk about Red Rock West. So, um, a question I always like to open these podcasts with, with all my guests is to ask them when they became aware of the Coppola family. So, what was your entry point? But then, when did it kind of I don't know open out to you and realize that there's a a whole world kind of? Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean like a spider's web of a family yeah, yeah, that yeah. they are? Well. I guess it would be because of my age. The first Coppola film I ever remember seeing is Jack. Yep, I'm. I'm. I'm yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of have to have to admit that as well. Yeah, yeah. As a 31 year old man, I'm like, maybe he is same age. Yeah, maybe it's Jack. Like if I, if I, yeah, if I'm deeply honest, I remember seeing it in the cinema, and I remember liking it when I was five or whatever it was. <laughs> And uh, I can't imagine that film plays well today. <laughs> and that's just Bill Cosby. Yeah, I'm yet to cover that one on the podcast, but I'm, I'm, I'm trepidatious. In, 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 in one breath, I'm kind of holding out on something like Apocalypse Now because it's like it's almost like a majesty of like how do you touch like discussing that film. And then there's a film like Jack where it's like, I have really fond memories of that as a kid. And like I know they're just going to be shattered immediately, one, because it features a notorious rapist and two that is probably not a good film yes <laughs> have you have you revisited it in uh later uh, years no i have it I, I must have seen it a couple of times when i was a kid yes on tv a lot as well i used to just a lasting memory of i think one of the only scenes i like that kind of is embedded in my brain and kind of do i think about at least once a month is the scene of them all farting in a can in like a tree house and then like someone has to sniff it <laughs> so um have you ever met a coppola obviously yeah we were chatting beforehand uh, you're used to i don't think i have met a coppola no no have you have you ever been in the same breathe the same air have you ever been to a screening or watched a Q and A? no i don't think coppola, no. okay moving on to the next question which is what would have been the first film you would have seen that would have featured Jason Schwartzman? Obviously, the the um, talking point of today's episode. Uh, probably one of the Wes Anderson films, I would imagine. 
probably um, Royal Tenenbaums, I think. Is he in? Te- he's in Tenenbaums. Yeah, yeah. No, he's that's that, that's that's like the only one he isn't in. That and Bottle <laughs> so Rocket. So then it would be like Rushmore. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rushmore. One, one of one of those. I mean, I saw those all quite early. So. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, Rushmore would have been his like acting debut as well so like got into the ground floor Ian. i like it i like it it's uh it's uh, a true a true i don't know you should you should do like a, a fake one about Schwartzman as donnie darko <laughs> that'd be perfect the whole history of how he was cast and he didn't yeah. donnie darko well what, once and I... coppola was supposed to produce it at one point yeah there's there's all these weird connections of stuff and um something that's like brought up on on this podcast quite a lot is is the idea of the kind of ripple effect not just the coplas have had with the stuff that they've made but stuff that they were offered and didn't make and how that kind of um affected hollywood in different ways so obviously yeah with don like donnie darko it could have been a completely different thing if jason had been in it and like maybe i don't know jake gyllenhaal's career could have gone a totally different direction if he didn't have that kind of early boost and then there's the whole fact that Francis Ford Coppola was presented with the script of being John Malkovich with the intention to direct it. And then I didn't know that. He he said, I know the perfect person to uh direct this happens to be my daughter's husband. That and then all that happens. And then we get the career of Spike Jones as we know it today. Obviously he probably would have been making films, but maybe not I don't know, maybe it he would skateboard films or something yeah yeah but he still would have been doing the jackass stuff or he, he would have maybe had a different trajectory where it was like lower budget stuff for a while then kind of got a boost later on or or yeah it wouldn't have been that kind of out of the gate like do you know what I mean like francis has whispered in john malkovich's ear being like hey maybe you should do this film or we don't get nicholas cage in adaptation possibly without the connection to the family so there's, yeah, yeah. there's all these all these links so um when you first saw jason schwartzman like well, yeah. What do you think of him as, as as an actor? Do you do you search out the films he's in, or? I mean, I wouldn't say I search them out per se, but I've I've always liked him in certain things. I mean, I think sometimes he's a little overly quirky. Sometimes that works. The West stuff works. I I really liked that TV show Bored to Death he did. Yep. I think is really underrated, and more people should see that. Uh, which actually has a connection to this film because. One of the directors of that, who did a lot of those episodes, is Michael Lehman, uh-huh. who, direct, who directed Headers, and went to school with Scott and Larry, and uh-huh. was the original director for Ed Wood before Tim Burton came and forward, and was a producer on Ed Wood. Amazing, amazing. Ed Wood, again, has a direct Coppola connection in that Stephanie Schwartzman was like the assistant to the production designer on that film as well. So, well, uh, and also Michael Lehman worked for Zoetrope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of an amorphous um, being that kind of, I don't know, encapsulates Hollywood in some way in their kind of weird weird way the Coppola Although they're family. not actually that Hollywood in a way as well. Yes, so yeah, that. yeah, yeah. They 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 they're the yeah, they they're very much like this film. They're based in San Francisco. Uh Well, specifically North Beach. Well, <laughs> we'll get into later. Cuz it's, it's literally shot like 2 minutes from where the office is. Um, amazing, amazing. So, let's talk about today's subject, which is big eyes. But before we do, here's the trailer. This is what it's come to, huh? You are the only living soul I can tell my secret to. I painted every single one of them. Every big eye. 
me. And no one will ever know but you. You made it! You're at North Beach! Come on, let's have some espresso. What's that? Is that like reefer? You have a lot to learn. What's your name? Margaret. Wouldn't you rather flirt with those girls down there? No. I like you, Margaret. Wow, this is all happening mighty quick. I am a divorcee with a child. Walter is a blessing. Mm. You're gonna love this stuff. Why are their eyes so big? The eyes are the windows of the soul. That's why I paint them so big. I've always done it that way. Why are you lying? Sadly, people don't buy lady art. The painting says keen. I'm keen, you're keen. Smile. We're sold out. They adore you, big guys. He sells paintings, and he sells pictures of the paintings, and he sells postcards of pictures of the paintings. Good God, it's a movement. So, are you flipping for all this? Honestly, I can't believe I live here. I remember when Mama painted that. You're confused. I painted that. What is troubling you? I lied to my child. I'm just not that kind of person. Is your husband that kind of person? These paintings are a part of my being. Maybe I could sign it myself. That sounds a bit confusing, doesn't it? Keen means me. Do you want to give back the money? If you tell anyone this empire collapses... If that's the price. It's like a mirage. From a distance, you look like a painter. But up close, there's just not much there. That's an outrageous statement! Mom! She's unhinged. You don't even know what the truth is! So, who is the artist? Oh, Ian, if you could tell us what Big Eyes is all about. Well, Big Eyes is about the life of Margaret Keene, who was a recently divorced uh, mower with one child, I think. Yes. Uh, she may have had two in real life. I can't remember. But, um, and that was at the, in the like 50s. That was very common. She moves to North Beach in San Francisco, which at that point was sort of the beatnik capital of the world. Um, and she meets a man called Walter Keene, played by Christoph Waltz. Amy Adams plays um, Margaret. And they fall in love. He claims he's a painter. She is also a painter. She's been painting. She's very sort of surreal. What you would now probably call sort of kitschy paintings of children with big eyes. Uh-huh. And... They have an art show in a sort of beatnik bar, and Walter's trying to sell his paintings, but her paintings start selling. And initially, she is credited with the painting. And that all that's true in, in the film is that there's even like records of, of before he started claiming. He was the painter. She was credited as the painter of these paintings, and uh, so eventually he he claims he is the painter, and basically kind of locks her up, basically to keep painting these paintings. 
Yes, and then and then it, it kind and of then she and then she leaves him, and there's a big court case is what kind of finishes the film. Amazing, amazing. So yeah, to kind of I don't know. I guess a touch point. I guess especially for people our age, if they've never seen a Margaret Keane painting, I, I, something that always came to mind, like the first time I ever saw one of her paintings was the Chris Cunningham-directed PlayStation advert, if you remember that, uh, which is this kind of very... No, mar- I have a keen connection. <laughs> okay, give us... Because when I was a child, and my sister has it now, we actually had a keen. Oh, amazing. What, like a, a legit or... Uh, well, it, it was, I don't think it was like an original original, yes, but yes. obviously it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was from the 60s. It's of four children. Um, there's a girl with a yellow coat. Um, you can find a version of it online. So Margaret Keane was one of the first painters I ever knew by name. Amazing. Because we had a Keane, and my sister has it now. It's a bit damaged now because of moves and stuff. Yeah, but. yeah. So, 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 like, she was someone you were aware of, like, yeah, as you said. From a very early age, yeah. Amazing. Well, did you, like, from from having that painting, did you kind of, from that early age, did you, like, seek out any of her work or kind of, like... I think my parents by? just like told me a little bit about her, and then when I and I had been following the productions of this film for a long time, before it ever happened, because it was supposed to be Scott and Larry was going to direct it for, oh. for many many years, and th- at one point it was I think Ryan Reynolds was going to play Walter Keane. Okay. And Reese Witherspoon would have been Margaret, which I can see that completely. There was another version of Kate Hudson and Thomas Hayden Church. And eventually, uh, and obviously Tim Burton's a big fan of, of, of Margaret Keane. And actually had some paintings commissioned in the 90s of Lisa Marie. Is it Lisa Marie, his, his wife? Before yeah. Helen and Bomb Carter? Oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, well, then uh, girlfriend. Like, well, girlfriend, yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, so he, he, and he was, you know, he's been friends with them for a long time. Obviously, they wrote Ed Wood, he also wrote a lot of Mars Attacks, mm-hmm. and eventually, he, it was like, Oh, this actor is going to be in London, can you meet with him? We can't get over or her, and uh, eventually, he, I think. I think he felt like he needed to do something smaller after doing like Alice in Wonderland and Sweeney Todd and Chocolate and Chocolate Factory. So he kind of signed on to it. And obviously it's Tim Burton. It's, it's greenlit, you know, pretty much. Yes. <laughs> so, and uh, I, I think he's a very good choice for it. And I, I think this is his best film since Ed Wood, actually. So. Yes, that's something I wanted to kind of talk about. It's kind of where this kind of ranks in the pantheon of tim burton films and i think i think it is that thing of after edward his career kind of i don't know it goes into well, i don't know there's always been a tim burton-esque quality obviously he is he is tim burton the, the films but there's something about those later that mid period of his career where especially well, when he gets I, into bed with disney that it all goes yeah a bit, the, the the disney sort of later warner Bros. stuff i mean i love his dumbo i think his dumbo is a vastly underrated film uh-huh it's basically like i hate disney i'm gonna make a disney remake and literally i'm gonna blow up disneyland at the end of it <laughs> <laughs> have you seen his dumbo no i've i think like 
It's li- it's literally I st- uh, Michael Keaton plays Walt Disney. And then I started watching it with my like my three year old son, and then like probably a little too scary for yeah, a three year old. I think I realized pretty quickly like oh, this is pretty. This seems like a bleak. Even though the Dumbo story is pretty bleak anyway. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, this, this, yeah, th- this has got too much Burton-esque, like, uh, trappings to it that maybe, yeah, maybe this is a bit too much for him. And I think it's got, like, a two-hour runtime or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. this ain't holding his attention. Yeah. <laughs> but his Dumbo, I think, is actually a pretty great movie, actually. Amazing. I definitely... Um, but I, I don't like Sweeney Todd. I don't like Charlie Jarrett's Factory. And, I, and the only film of his I like actively dislike is his Alice in Wonderland, which I think is one of the most disappointing films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. Because if anyone could have done that, it's Tim Burton, and he just screwed it up so badly. Well, I was talking to someone about this just recently, about the idea that Tim, like, Tim Burton, for somebody who seems to have this appreciation for, like, like someone like Edward, like, obviously in that film, he's portrayed in a very, like, uh, affectionate manner and stuff like that. And you kind of, I don't know, you, you feel like he's, rooted into old hollywood and like what like wants to represent that but like it's it's just so quickly went to everything is going to be cgi it's all going to be like big and bombastic and kind of like quite garish and ugly and like yeah i think yeah there's there's and 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 within that kind of run those little those beautiful little moments that i really love frank and weenie like oh yeah frank and weenie is one of the few films that has ever made me cry (laughs) and Watching this, Big Fish, I think, is a great film. One I've never seen for some reason. We used to have it. We used to have a poster of it in my like art class, uh, my art, my drama class when I was at school. And I've I've always been meaning to. It's like a big blind spot for me. But in regards to this film, it yeah, rewatching it, it felt like a breath of fresh air because uh, maybe like last year on the podcast they covered Ed Wood, and it's like, oh, those two films kind of go hand in hand almost like they're they're, they're both well, well it's kind of a mishmash of edward and and then the court stuff from larry flint yes yeah 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 yeah. but i just mean like the kind of i don't know the 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 real world story for one and it it feels like not to diminish obviously stuff that like has a lot of cgi but just feels like oh it's real world filmmaking do you know what I mean? It's not kind of people. Yeah, which, which is what he's best at. Yes. Uh, and he's good at the sort of more fantastical stuff at times too. But, you know, one of my favorite moments in the whole film is when it's used in the supermarket and they become the big eyes. Yes. And it's, it's, it's a perfect Tim Burton moment. There's that great bit with the house, which is like the ultimate sort of haunted house. Mm-hmm. And... um. But the stuff's used sparingly, right? Like that stuff with the big yeah. eyes is almost used as like not so much a jump scare, but kind of in that realm of like something that kind of comes out of nowhere. It's not like I don't know if <laughs> if if this was Tim Burton on a bad day, there would have been like oh, do you know what I mean? At a point, every everyone she looked at would have had big eyes or like yeah, yeah. something like that. Whereas this, it feels. It feels restrained, and it, it genuinely for a film that's rated twelve in the UK. So what's I, I imagine like in the US, it'd probably have like a PG rating or something like that. Probably like, PG thirteen. I think there's probably like smoking or something, yes. something like that. It's probably why it got gets a twelve over here. But it's got like um, 
I don't know. It's got like uh, it's got moments where it's quite quite haunting. Or, or like there's there's a sequence that's I don't know, almost like reminiscent of The Shining in that moment where he's kind of uh, the the veil starting to slip for him and like his ego's been damaged and like like yeah. I think it's, yeah, just after he confronts the art critic about about his work, and he's yeah, flicking yeah. the matches into the fire, and then like blows up at Margaret and Jane, and then like yeah, they 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 run into the um, the art studio, and he starts flicking the matches. It's oh a- yeah, he's very much a Jack Torrance type. Yes, and yeah. and he was in real life. I mean, if I mean uh, I. I that I, I would mention him, this guy, because he deserves some credit for this whole film. He's not credited on the film, but uh, there was a great publisher and writer called Adam Palfrey, uh-huh. who sadly passed away a few years ago. And he ran the uh, publishing house, Feral House. And when the film came out, he, 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 uh, he published a book called Citizen Keen, which is a biography of, of Walter and Margaret. Amazing. And he actually is the guy who did most of the work uh, of, of editing the, the book that Edward is based on, called Nightmare of Ecstasy. And uh, he was one of the very first people to kind of reevaluate Margaret Keane as an artist. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a bunch of pieces for San Diego Weekly, and uh, I believe that's where Scott and Larry first started reading about Margaret Keene. So he, he really does deserve a lot of credit. Uh, and I, I, but I, I know the reason he didn't get credit on the film is they met with Margaret and bought her life, life rights. So... Yes. You didn't have to <laughs> yes, yeah, say, yeah. say it's based on a, a book or articles by Adam Parfrey. Uh and, and I know he was, he was friendly with Larry, so it wasn't like a big deal or anything. So. What, what is it do you think that, like, actually, uh, yeah, I've actually spoke to Larry about potentially coming on the podcast at some point because of just his amazing career. But what, what, what do you think as, like, a kind of viewer, um, with the fact that they always, him and Scott seem to gravitate to these real world stories. And obviously like, yeah, well, I, I always find that quite fascinating that they, they, they seem to be like the go-to guys when it's like, we want a real world story. Cause I know, I know they're writing, um, the Grateful Dead film. Yeah. For, for Jonah Hill at the moment. And so, Scorsese, which is just yeah. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't, I, mean, I I hate the Grateful Dead, but given who's involved, I will see that film day one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, like, what do you think of? Yeah, well, maybe better. What do you think of their work in general? Because obviously, like, they've kind of got this amazing. I'm a big fan of them, um, and I think I I know for Ed Wood, basically, um, they wrote Problem Child. Yes, and uh, that was a huge kind of critical lob. Did fine financially, but it was totally panned. <laughs> and uh, so, and I think Nightmare Vet Sea had came out or was about to come out. And, and I think they had been going to um, a, a Mark Books, which is where Adam uh, was working at the time in Silver Lake. Um, and uh, I think there's some articles in LA Weekly about Edward from Adam as well. Uh, 
So after sort of the whole problem child thing, they wanted to write a film about what was perceived as the worst director of all time. <laughs> and soon after, Michael Lehman uh, had just done Hudson Hawk, which had a very similar sort yes. of reaction, <laughs> uh, which is a great film, Hudson Hawk. It's totally underrated. Um, so they kind of teamed up, and then they got Tim involved, and Tim was like, about to do that, that film, Mary Riley. No, no never. The, the uh, uh, oh, Julia Roberts, um, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie. Okay, never seen that. That's going on the list. With John Malkovich. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, please. Not a very good film. Oh, the, but off the list. <laughs> so, so, so he got involved um, as a producer, and then he kind of was like, I actually really like this. So it's kind of similar to what happened with Big Eyes, is that he came on as like an advisor, producer, and then eventually he kind of was like, actually, I really want to do this myself. So. <laughs> uh, so but yeah, but, but, but like, I love Ed Wood. I think Larry Flint is a great movie. Uh, Man in the Moon has some great stuff in it. Uh, um, I love um, the OJ show, I think, was, was really excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dolomite's and, my name as well. Fantastic. Yeah, they seem to be like the go-to, like, kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, Dolomite, of course, yeah. I, yeah, love Dolomite. Yeah they, seem, yeah, they seem to be, like, the perfect, like, real-life like real life story kind of adapters. In and the they've world. created, like, the only cartridge industry of it. I mean, no one else really... I mean, the, the stuff like I, Tanya and uh i'm sure i'm bl uh there's the the founder the the, the roy croc yes. film which is a very similar sort of style but they really kind of uh pioneered that sort of true story that is so bizarre it it it's almost it's completely unbelievable but always with a lot of affection for the people and what i find what i find fascinating about like it was obviously and i think the way that this is like a companion piece to edward in some ways is that the subtext of this film like oh well i don't know even if it's subtext pretty it seems pretty overt to me but that might be because i'm kind of always looking out for this stuff is that it is it is almost like a, even though it is based on this true story it feels like something that is talking about the state of like Hollywood, especially in the time that it's made and the way that Hollywood is going, because it's all about this kind of, uh, especially in the the Walter Keane character and his idea of like, oh, we can kind of just package things up. We can sell, we can sell the art, but yeah, having the art's great, but uh, like I can kind of stamp my name on it. I would say that's just the beginning of pop art. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, that is kind of it. It starts with an Andy Warhol quote about how much he loves the Keens. Uh, yeah so but then there's that whole thing like you know, like do you know what I mean like with with hollywood with that whole aspect of like i don't know it's not so like the art comes secondary now it's about like the kind of pomp and circumstance around yeah, it yeah, yeah. and like like you're saying like like you said if if a film needs to get made having like a, a name like tim burton automatically green lights and uh, automatically green lights are almost always automatically green lights yes. i mean i know i know he's wanted to do geek love forever and sadly i don't think that's ever going to happen yeah but you know, like so, yeah like whereas this is about like margaret's art is kind of like however you think about it like 
there's talent, there's skill into it, so there's intrigue to it. It is it's unique in, in its own way. And it's like that doesn't really matter. It seems to be that what matters is the kind of salesmanship and the kind of surrounding aspect of it. We get that scene quite early on with uh, Walter and um, Banducci having like that argument in, in, in the club. And it's kind of that that spurs on people to get interested in the art. And it's like almost, yeah, like a kind of critique on people don't really care about art for art's sake anymore people care about like all of the surrounding factors in it and it's like yeah. it is I, I always find that great in especially like real world stories that <laughs> as much as like i don't know we always think that we've moved on and stuff like that it's just moved on to something else it's when then it was art now it's kind of yeah it's cinema and stuff like that obviously we're living in the age of massive tent pole like marvel movies and stuff like that and like people don't really care too much for like the filmmaking per se for a lot of that stuff they just kind of care about the glitz and the kind of like the explosions yeah. and the, the bright colors of it all they don't really i don't know it, and even when you get interesting filmmakers brought into that world it's kind of like it's stripped away what, what 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 they do and it's kind of like oh you're not talking about love and thunder are you by any chance <laughs> i could be talking about a manner of different films there <laughs> god what a terrible film <laughs> i think i think some of love love and thunder's biggest problems is it was cocaine <laughs> is yeah is 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 maybe frapples and having too much fun that the audience aren't actually invited into <laughs> yes, yes uh and, and also i mean i think one another thing the film's really good at is is sort of showing the progression of the 60s because you have like sort of the beginning of the 60s is really kind of the beatniks yes. really and then by the end you have you know margaret Keane. by the end of it is kind of this sort of feminist hero to some extent yes and i know that was very much on their mind when they're writing the script was they really wanted to kind of show the pro the progression of, sort of the women's movement within the context of his story. I, I find that yeah, I do I do find that fascinating. It's again, it is a kind of as as a horrible as it is, it's time it's timeless in that way that women are still going through this shit, right? Still not getting yeah. the credit that they deserve for things. There's like, like, do you know what I mean? Great artists, whatever. And it's like, and it's, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a deeply feminist film. It tells like, it's almost like a story of, it is basically a form of kind of uh, domestic abuse, right? This kind of. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, and also, if you read about the, the you know, quote unquote true story, although it's actually fairly accurate as much as you can within a film, is he was way worse than he is depicted in, in the film. Oh, wow. I mean, he is way, way worse. Yeah, I mean, it's much more horrific. Yeah, that yeah, that is that's always fascinating, right? Because obviously they've like had to, I don't know, sand off some of those sharper edges. Well, to... even like even like uh, some of the court stuff was so crazy. They had to like it was so crazy. You could they were like you could never, no one would ever believe this ever happened. Yeah, I love stuff like that, and that, that's how I like, like. There's almost like it's a subgenre to itself, right? Of that kind of stories that are too crazy that they must be true stories right that if anyone kind of 
pitched that as an original idea for a film you'd kind of get laughed out of an office i'm trying to think of ones that like kind of come to mind you know like um, well melvin and howard it's kind of the first of these type of movies uh-huh yeah yeah yeah. and um there's, there's like dog day afternoon is one yeah yeah it's kind of a predecessor to these type of movies and then like later on there's i remember a film kinky boots all about like uh a boot factory in like the north of england that decide to um, I'm pretty sure it's based on a true story. It, it, it feels like one of those ones that is, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they decide that they're going to make boots for, um, like, uh, for drag, for drag acts because, uh, is it based on a true story? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's inspired by true events. Yeah. 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 So like that is almost like if somebody had wrote that as a script, they'd be like, that's not, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. <laughs> like sixties, sixties, like, yeah. Midlands, the a factory decide oh we're not selling boots for uh, what we're doing regularly let let's let's make uh but they need some boots. big sizes yes exactly yeah 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 yeah. so um yeah and i i, I kind of i don't know i'm a sucker yeah how, what are your five thing I, I, i'm a sucker for anything that kind of not anything but like stuff that kind of has that based on a true story uh yeah i mean it. i mean I mean, all, all, of, all of Scott and Larry's, I mean, Dog Day Afternoon, Melvin and Howard, and then stuff like, you know, I, mean, I Tanya is, is a good one. Although with that, I'm annoyed because it's so obviously not Paul the Dorgan where it's at. <laughs> yeah, I've, well, I've, yeah. I mean, I've only ice skated once and it was on the, 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 the ice rink where uh, Tanya learned how to skate. So. <laughs> Amazing. I, yeah, I, I think that's interesting that you said, like, kind of, yeah, what? Craig Gillespie's doing is you can see that delineation from what Scott and Larry have kind of created with their like kind of uh I don't know tellings of true stories but like his feels like that ramped up to like 11 almost do you know what I mean it's like that with a dash of cocaine because you've got like I Tonya and then Pam and Tommy, I know that he was like very heavily involved oh yeah with. yeah of course you have Pam and Tommy yeah. <laughs> as uh, as well whereas I don't know that 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 yeah, I don't know, yeah. I don't know, there there is there is decadence to their stuff. Yeah, no, I think there's a there's a there's a delineation. I think the sun's getting to my head right now as well. So, uh, tell tell us about some of like your yeah, like what the the the, the opening of this. What do you kind of make of that first scene where they're like? Because obviously you were you were aware. Of the true story, well, yeah, were you? Yeah, you must have been aware of the true I, story. I was aware about. enough that I, I knew he was this con man, and she was the one who was the painter of, of all of these paintings. And uh, and I didn't know like all of the the details when the film came out, but I, I knew enough about it that I had, I had some background in in the history of the story. So. So how do you think that, yeah, Christoph Waltz's portrayal of Walter Keane, well, at the beginning, at least, when he is this kind of charming guy on the boardwalk, kind of I think like... that was probably fairly accurate. I mean, I would assume, I mean, con men tend to be quite charming. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, I mean, my one criticism of the film would, although I, I think he's good in the movie, uh, is Walter Keane was not German <laughs> at all. Yes. And uh, that is the one thing that kind of annoys me is that he's just not 
his his voice is just wrong because the guy was this, and also he was a much bigger guy. He was a sort of more stocky sort of look looking guy. So if I had one really big criticism, it would be Christoph Waltz. Although I think he's he's really good in the movie. You know, he's one of his better performances. Uh, yeah, I, I, seeing like the real photos of Walter Keane at the end of the film and kind of looking at them afterwards. It is that thing of if they had got a kind of hulking guy like he, he he looked, it I guess it added even more to the like juxtaposition of the stuff that he was painting, right? Like he looks like a guy he looks like a guy who could just like go out, chop down a tree, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or, like make you a bench and a Well he looks like a fifties fifties businessman. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but he looks like a bit of like he looks like I don't know. He looks like he's got calluses on his hands as well. Yeah, yeah. To be painting these like very kind of effeminate paintings that kind yeah. of got a sensitivity to him. He looks he look. He's not. I, don't, I never like to judge books by their cover, but like if we are in this case, he looks like he's not doing that. He looks like his paintings would be kind of I don't know very austere and kind yeah. of rugged Do you know i mean it'd be men in yeah. plaid shirts and kind of yeah. lifting logs or it'd not... be like some kind of like abstract sort of some something like it would be like mark rothko or someone yeah. like that yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you can imagine... be one of those two you know or like a yeah like he's kind of he looks more like, like a, a jackson pollock yeah, or something you know? yeah 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 cigarette in his mouth kind of flicking yeah. paint a lot of anger to him whereas yeah the paintings that margaret king painted were these kind of yeah, yeah, like almost like dollhouse style paintings. But yeah. um, so, what do you, yeah, what do you make of um, Amy Adams' performance? The, the... I think it's her best performance. <laughs> Was this isn't one of the because she's someone who's famously been nominated for. She should have of... fucking been nominated. <laughs> she really should have. Um, I mean, she is. Just, I mean, she's so quiet in it. With all accounts, is how Margaret was. She was just was a very, very quiet, reserved woman. Um, and uh, I think it's a really, really remarkable performance by her. And I think she really, really deserved a lot more sort of Oscar awards contention than she got. Yeah, she got she got a Golden Globe for this, but they, they mean nothing, <laughs> yeah, especially now. <laughs> so what? Two thousand four. 2014 slightly different, but now it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some of the in in the, in the earlier sections of this? What is, what are some of the scenes that stick out to you, Ian? Well, I, I think Christian Ritter is just amazing throughout. Just the ultimate beaten it girl. She's she already looks the part in the first place, yeah. and she's just wonderful in every moment. I, I mean, I actually wish there was a bit more of her in it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I kind of, and I, lo I love that she's like the voice of reason. That she's yes. almost like the audience surrogate, right? Where you're going, yeah, she's like there going, nah, this guy seems a bit too good to be true. Like, I've, I've yeah. heard stories about him, and like, it's almost like that. I don't know. Like, he's been sleeping around with all the girls in North Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, no, no, no. He's, he's a good guy to me. And it's like, she's the one kind of, yeah, pointing out the, the red flags like throughout and pushes her way into the studio at one point, being like, oh, they these paintings look very much like the ones you do and stuff like that. Like, um, yeah, she's fantastic. And I was, might've like, been the first fit. No, I would have seen breaking bad beforehand. Yeah. Breaking bad was before. So I would have seen her in that. Yeah. She first, like she's been, I don't know. We don't, we don't see her in enough stuff. And I always, yeah, like, I mean, she's just such a good actress. Yeah. Yeah. She really should be doing a lot more than she is. So yeah, in regards to scenes in that early section, what, what are the ones that kind of stick out to you? Uh, well, 
yeah, all of her stuff. I mean, the, the part when she takes her to the beatnik bar is great. Um, when she first meets um, Walter is is really it's the way he kind of like creepily walks over to her, mm-hmm. and you're like, this guy is trouble <laughs> immediately. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, those, those are the two that stand out. Yeah, it's it's that kind of game he's playing as well, right? Then isn't it? And he's kind of like. Uh, uh, trying to sell the the daughter to like, oh, wouldn't you like a paint like one of these beautiful paintings? Wouldn't you like to be this? She's like, well, it is me. And yeah, again, yeah, that's she's a great like in for us. As oh well. yeah, the, the kid is fantastic. Yeah, both actresses who play Jane, I think, like do an absolute like stellar job. I mean, Tim's of- always been good with kids, <laughs> and I I love that all of his films, all the kids look like keen kids from the get go. Yes, yeah, like the actress, like that's one thing I was like just running through my head that Madeline Arthur, um, it's just like she looks like a keen, like she looks like a keen kid. And then whilst watching it, I was like, where, where do I, where do I recognize her from? And obviously, yeah, she plays the daughter in color out space that stars nicholas cage oh oh yeah yeah (laughs) she plays yeah she plays lavinia her gardener in that i was like yeah she's kind of got this ethereal look to her that kind of like very much suits this and it's almost like she is like one of her paintings come to life almost and then what what, what the tim burton film for that that makes me laugh is the one he did after miss penage's school for whatever children yes where the kids literally look like Keen Paintings. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's like, does he have like some kind of like cast agent who's just like, I have a kid who looks like a Keen Painting for you. Here you go. <laughs> just, yeah. Anytime a kid comes in, there's just there's a casting director out there. Yeah, it's like, just, Tim, 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 <laughs> Tim will like this kid. Pinning them to a board. We got another one. I mean, what even is- like Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And, and look at his and his, his kids look like keen mates. <laughs> you see a picture of his kids. I mean, it's just ridiculous. He's he's there with matchsticks in their eyes, like your eye sockets will be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think it's. I mean, I mean, I think it might be also. I mean, partly I think it's because I know he was into anime from quite a young age, uh-huh. and I know he was supposed to do an anime thing with uh, Sparks. Oh, amazing! Um. Uh, called Maya the the Psychic Girl. Uh-huh. So I think some of that comes from that. I and I think also just being a fan of, of the Keens as yeah. well. Well, and I, I think obviously, yeah, he, he he married and had children with Helen the Bottom Carter, who who has uh, those eyes. Who has those eyes? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it's what a way to kind of I don't know. This film always feels full circle for his life in some way. That he's kind of it feels like it's an in, it's been a massive inspiration on what he's been doing, and then it's like. Oh, I get to be a part of telling this story. Is like, yeah, this is this is made for me. Like, and it's the film that ended his relationship with her as well. <laughs> I, I think he was going out with one of the assistants. I think he had a, a fling with one of the assistants or something. Oh no, Tim, 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 Tim. Um, so obviously, yeah, there's an narrator through this. How do you well? Let me ask you, how do you tend to feel about narration in movies in general? Uh, it depends. Uh, I mean, I, I would say the two best narrations in any films of, of, of all, I mean, of all time would be Badlands and Goodfellas. 
Uh-huh. I think, and I think, uh, I think in this one, I think the narration kind of adds a sort of fairy tale aspect to it, which is obviously just Tim's style in general. And uh, I, I think it's, I think it works pretty well, actually. And it's used sparingly, right? It's yeah, it's of... not overdone. It's definitely not overdone. And it, it, yeah, it almost like you were saying with and, and, and it gives her a voice when at times she doesn't have a voice. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. So, so, so there's, there's a point to the narration. Yeah, with that, Danny Houston provides that kind, of, and it obviously, I don't know, it kind of gives that aspect of the whole thing being that one step removed from reality. Right? It is almost yeah. like the whole thing is a kind of a piece that he's written about the story yeah. of the Keynes almost like uh, I, I, I like that as a device. Um, so yeah, moving on with the plot, like kind of when they, well, when they get to, when they get to California and they're living in like the big, the big house and stuff like that, what have come of the, what have, we've obviously touched on that kind of um, big scene, kind of the, 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 the shining one. But what do you what do you make around like their interactions? Because obviously, like it's just for me, it's just like it's just interplays of tension. It's like I don't know, like I, I could almost watch like a, a two person play of um, Christoph Waltz and Amy Adams as these two characters, kind of just yeah. trying to navigate each other and like circling each other. Yeah, what do you make of their kind of interactions and their interplay in their scenes? I mean, I. I mean, I mean, first of all, there's two great actors, uh-huh. so there's that. Uh, and I mean, I, I think it, it really is quite haunting, just the, 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 the sort of, the, sort of the, what he's doing to her and sort of basically, you know, locking her up and just be like, you've got a pain seize. I'm going to go be this big celebrity and you're just stuck at home painting these paintings over and over and over. Yeah, it's almost like I don't know. It's got like a like those eighteenth, yeah, like eighteenth century novel thing of it, like the woman kept in the attic kind of. Yes, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't know. Yeah, it's always like got this aspects of like the painting of Dorian Gray to it as well. Like yeah. she's kind of got to keep painting these paintings to keep. And then up there's the, the big line. reveal when they actually find out who's been doing it. It is a very sort of Dorian Gray sort of. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's, it, you, you, there's just this ugliness behind it all. Like uh, Walter Keen is this is this hack. Um, one of the scenes I've, I don't know, like I, I think it's a really good like interplay between them is the moment where she like finds that box full of the old street paintings that he did. Yeah, and yeah. finds the the other name, and then confronts him about it because, like you're saying, she plays like this. She's very quiet in the film, but I don't know. She plays this boiling, broiling tension really well, and like there's almost like looks in her eyes where it's like, she's like oh, she might as well be twitching, where she's like, kind of like. Well, it's it's, it's a very similar performance to the, her performance in The Master. Yes, yes. Which is also a very similar time, a sort of similar dynamic. You have well, she's doing all the work because anyone who knows anything about Owen Hubbard. Uh, knows that his wife is who wrote Dianetics. <laughs> Owen Hubbard did not write Dianetics. His wife wrote it. And uh, also, oh, who is it? There's Noah Science Fiction right, who wrote a lot of it as well. And, and, and actually, and his, and his wife was 
Jack Paulson's wife, who was rocket scientist and occultist and they should make a film about him they did a tv series but, <laughs> but it sadly got canceled the moment ellen hubbard showed up <laughs> wonder why <laughs> yeah uh, uh, i don't know i don't yeah I, I, I'm, I'm stumbling like i'm a scientologist i'm not i'm not i'm not guys <laughs> i'm just i don't know I'm, I'm, I'm slightly scared of them coming for me for some reason i'm quite i, I live quite close to their uh uk headquarters so they're only oh you, you you're in east like near east grinstead no i'm not but i'm like maybe like 10 15 minute drive away so i've i've been i've been to east grinstead <laughs> i used to uh a little tangent here for you i used to work uh, for starbucks and i did my training at starbucks in east grinstead and uh once a week we would get an order come in and it was like the scientologists would just come in and they would just want all of their drinks piping hocks obviously they had to ferry them back to their meeting and stuff like that and it's like i think the 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 thing i found fat like most fascinating was like i wonder if tom cruise is drinking one of these coffees that we're making right now or like probably did at some point yeah or um there was a fast like because of because i live quite near and like the i remember one of the local newspapers <laughs> printing a story that john travolta tried to book a table at KFC in East Grinstead and was told it's KFC you, you, you can't book a table like, like well, no like very British like it's for who John Travolta no we don't care we don't book tables <laughs> this is KFC that's amazing and then you have the Mormons there as well which, and, and you have Jehovah's Witnesses in East Grinstead <laughs> and of course she became a Jehovah's Witness yes is is that something? Yeah, as as you stated, you you know a lot more about Margaret Keane's life than I do. Did is that something she carried on throughout her life? As the, oh yeah, the oh yeah, witness? oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that was she became a very very devout Jehovah's Witness when she would knock on people's doors. I don't think she was like would you know put it down your throat if you you know met her and talked to her and stuff. But she she was pretty devout, and I think you know if it works for her and she's not harming anyone, who cares? Well, and it's obviously like the way it's portrayed in this film as well, and it was yeah, the kind of it's, it's quite sympathetic and and, and and does it? It's not judgmental, which has always been the case with, with with Scott and Larry's stuff. Even when someone you know may should be judged for something, they never ever are judgmental. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah they did. <laughs> they did the People versus Larry Flint, which is obviously for for a while he was like what uh, public enemy number one in kind of. Well, Larry Flint started in some really good stuff. So. <laughs> um, I was I was very happy uh, that when he died, it didn't there didn't seem to be any like horror stories about Larry Flint. That yes. Came out. Unlike Hugh Hefner, for instance. Uh huh. Definitely. Yeah. 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 It's well, like... Everyone. Everyone's like, no, he did some. He was a peddler of, 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 of porn and may not have always been the greatest guy, but he was pretty fair to most people. Perfect. So um, I guess one thing we need to mention in this film, seeing as our Coppola connection is... Oh, Jason yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some Schwartzman guy in this film, isn't there? So obviously he, he's in this film quite sparingly, like the voiceover. Um, but what do, what, do, what do you make of his character of Ruben? Like when, when he... When oh, he I mean, he, he's great at it. Uh, and he perfectly kind of portrays that pretentious art winker, uh, gallery owner, sort of wannabe beatnik guy, to a T. I love, he looks the part. 
Yeah, I love that uh, Jason Schwartzman has kind of carved out this niche of playing these arseholes, but you always kind of just like, you just kind of like him at the yeah. same time. He's like, I don't know what it is, whether he's got this perpetually young looking face where it's like, I can't be that mad at him. Do you know what I mean? Even though he is yeah. kind of like uh, the personification in this film, at least of the kind of like, uh, well, actually, do you know what I mean? Like the kind of like, well, the, the, that's not actually art kind of like yeah. thing. He's kind of like the pretentious arsehole, but like. Well, he has that great line. It's, it's a movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's kind of, and just look, the looks he gives, like when uh, they open the kind of gallery right opposite his place, and he's kind of stood on his steps, staring at them with disdain yeah. of like, yeah. really, this is this is what art has become. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Jason Schwartzman, kind of, today, he's always a delight, even when he pops up in these uh, small roles. So, well, I actually have a comment from Larry Karaszewski oh. with a. Coppola connection. Uh, the location scout Tony Dingman uh, was the location scout on this film, and uh, so and he has he's worked with Coppola many times. Amazing, which would make sense because it's, it's North Beach and it's San Francisco. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, is there any other? Yeah, before we start to kind of get to the end of the film and talk about the the, the court case. Is 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 there any other scenes in the film that really stick out to you that you feel like we need to discuss? Uh, well, I I love the part when she's listening to the Beach Boys, huh? and and the song they use is perfect. In my room is this like a perfect choice, and because it is his, she's in her room, you know. Yes, and it's this kind of sweet, but as always with the Beach Boys, of slightly eerie, off kilter song. And that song was kind of like one of the first songs that Brian Wilson wrote where you're like, there's something else going on with this guy. Yes. And uh, that's, that scene's great. I mean, uh, the scene when Christian Ritter shows up to the house, he's invited over and, and confronts him is great. And, um, and, and, and yeah, and, and when you mentioned, yeah, that's about it, I would say. I what what I love about this film is obviously there's all these mentions to like famous people and stuff like that, but as an audience we don't really get to see them, and it, it kind of it it adds to the kind of disconnect of like the character of the character in this film of Margaret Keane. I don't obviously she probably did interact with Brian Wilson and stuff like that, but like I love the kind of artistic choice to not kind of show like they could have obviously had scenes of the lavish parties that they would have had at their their place yeah. and stuff like that but it's like the film's more focused on the fact that all of that happened yesterday for instance but like margaret's day-to-day -day life is kind of just being this woman in the shadows and we kind of get glimpses of it i think there's a moment when they're at and it, but there's, it's, there's, there's a moment where uh oh is it is it uh is it Catherine Hepburn or is it Joan Crawford? Oh, uh, who who she's the painting of? Let me check. Because uh, you you do see her for for a split second. Because Walter hands her the painting. But there's that moment in the, the moment I was talking about. Is there's a moment when they're at the gallery, and Margaret has basically been. It's Joan, it's Joan Crawford. Yeah. Crawford. But Margaret has basically been 
relegated to like handing out drinks at like a gallery like opening party that they're having and stuff like that and i think like that like that perfectly encapsulates and you can like after that you could imagine once like the key name is massive and water is schmoozing with all of these kind of celebrities and stuff like that 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 is how margaret would have lived her life do you know what i mean like just yeah. being this kind of woman who's like there, like timid like yeah so brian do you want another drink like do you want another tab of acid like <laughs> or whatever and all of this stuff and like i yeah i just love the way that it doesn't dwell too much on the kind of glitzy side of it it kind of it is very centric to to her experience and kind of how shrunken her experience was and i don't know it, yeah I mean, I mean you could easily have had the, the scene where she does the jerry lewis paintings or natalie wood painting which is quite well known but they decide not to do that which i think was a smart choice so uh, i guess like the chief i don't know chief and it's kind of weird but the, the, an antagonist that is set up in this film is terence stamps uh art critic uh jack uh Canada. like what do you yeah what do you kind of make of that, like, kind of uh, subplot to this film and the kind of confrontation I mean, I, that happens? I don't, I don't think he, he existed. I think that's a creation. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, maybe a real name, but I assume that's a composite of yes. mini critics. It feels like it, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, and I, and I think, you know, that was definitely how people felt about the Keens, any serious art critic of the time, and I think you, you need to so, show that side of, of it to understand why Margaret Keane is actually a talented artist. And I, I think it's interesting as well, and it's just something we can never actually know, is like, would her work, and, 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 and I've, I would hazard a guess, like, that unfortunately, that without Walter putting his, like, being the face of it, that maybe her work never would have got appreciated at his time. Probably. I mean, I mean, the, the story is so outrageous. That is obviously an element of why she has became this cult figure over the years. Well, yeah, and and the aspect that kind of, and I think the thing that the film is touching on is kind of women aren't taken seriously. Like, we get that, yep. it's like her passionately talking about, like, her art and stuff like that when she's at their job, and the guy's like, oh, this is just, we're just, just painting furniture here like calm down like and you can imagine that would have been that's just for that job so her going to like a proper art studio of her art she probably wouldn't have even been let in the door to like talk to them well there's that great scene later on where she's been interviewed where, where the family's been interviewed by like time magazine or, yeah. or something and and very clearly walter has no idea what he's talking about and she actually knows who these artists are she actually has something to say about the art and 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 then his our kid shows up <laughs> yes which is yeah and they're, they're devastate that's like it's devastating like the stuff he says to her you get these glimmers throughout and it kind of gets worse and worse as the plot goes on but when he says like oh, i've had to put up with your kid all this time and i've never said anything and it's like yeah it's just like jesus christ yeah man. It's like what a reveal as well that like he's got like a teenage daughter that he's just yeah. never told her about. And I don't know, there's yeah, in regards to like her knowing a lot about art, there's it's really haunting, like when 
he's got to he's he, he's like insisting on going on tv to kind of defend the art and she says like well what is your like what was your inspiration for doing the art and he kind of you see him in real time fabricating this story for where where the kind of the big eyes and it's paintings. such a bad story as well that's the thing that's so yes. funny about it <laughs> <laughs> it's just like jesus christ man you're, but you're not a good liar but that's the type of thing that people lap up, right? Like it's, it's, it shows that thing that even now, like it's the story that sells stuff. It's like uh, the you know, like all these kind of reality TV shows of like uh, talent searches and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, somebody may have loads of talent, but if you haven't got the kind of sob story to back it up, like people lose interest somewhat. Do you know what I mean? They're kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, you're you're a great singer, but anyone die in your family you got a kind of like you got a struggle of how you got here and it's like you can't just be like oh no i kind of had a regular upbringing I'm just pretty good at singing do you know what i mean it's like yeah. there has to be all this added baggage to it um so yeah let's let's talk about kind of how this film starts to wrap up so like she files for divorce and moves to hawaii because she was sold the promise that it's paradise and very much looks like paradise. I'm sure, I'm sure they very much enjoyed uh, getting to film some stuff in Hawaii. But um, as we mentioned, like she becomes a Jehovah's Witness and it almost gives her a, a change of mind. One of their core principles is to never lie. So she goes on radio and tells her story that Walter Keane was a liar and she was kind of manipulated into the fact of... Um, letting people believe that he had painting the painted the paintings and then it yeah he 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 comes back with a kind of slanderous uh uh article about like kind of what uh what a liar she is and stuff like that that's well well today he died he still said he was a painter the madman <laughs> and he and he wrote like an autobiography where he compared himself to like picasso and like Michelangelo and stuff. And I mean, that's one of the the parts where they kind of fudged the facts a bit because the court case didn't happen until the 80s, but she had been saying it since 1970 where the film ends. Yes. Ends-ish. I mean, it doesn't particularly say, but it's it's clearly like 1970, 71. Uh, So... but that's fine for dramatic license. I mean, it, it's, I don't have an issue with that, but it does kind of, it, it actually ended in the 80s. And that's when the sort of revival of her kind of started happening. Well, and it, it kind of, I don't know, it almost adds even more sadness to it that she went all of that time with people not believing her and kind of having... I think there's people who still don't believe her. <laughs> which is... Which insane. Is, which is crazy um and the fact that yeah like they it it transpires in the court case and that they have to do a, a paint off to determine and who, that happened yeah which is fantastic but the, the lead up to it as well like him him representing himself and i'm i i'm gonna go out on a whim here but i think i think i think there's a fact to anyone who chooses to represent themselves in court is a madman right pretty much <laughs> like you you look at some of the kind of famous examples uh well what let's just one example that comes to mind ted bundy 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, he actually was a lawyer, so that, that kind of worked for it in a way. But but was still like was still a maniac, like oh, yeah. <laughs> with it. Like uh, Charles Manson, did he did he represent himself in court? Uh, maybe. It feels like feels like a Charlie Manson, but yeah, like what do you make of kind of? Christoph Waltz's, Waltz's performance in these moments and the kind of portrayal of this kind of... Oh, he, he's just fantastic and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, the choice to when he's, like, has to give a testimony and, and he's trying to basically play both parts, like the lawyer, and wants to then go back to the booth and the the, <laughs> the judge is like, no, just sit in the booth and tell your story. Like, we're not doing this whole song and dance with it. And we get those We get those glimpses as well, right, of, like, him just trying to turn that his testimony into just regaling these like tales and oh yeah yeah and he's like it's it, it and i know it was crazier that's the thing that's just so amazing is like if you read about it it's even wackier what what are some of the things that he actually did oh, i can't re- it's been a while since i've read the book but i, I do know that it was it was it was really really mad from the stuff told but it's 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 still it's i mean it's very faithful court case uh i, I don't think they got to interview walter Keane sadly when they were writing the script <laughs> um you know, i can get the name of his biography because i know he wrote biography at some point uh no i can't find it but but that, that's when Adam met him was, was after his biography came out and he was like just saying all this crazy stuff still. <laughs> 20 years, like years after the fact. I'd be like, well, I'm just, I recommend people do it at home as well, is the painting that um, Margaret Keane painted in court like is, is the exact painting that, that is portrayed in the film, right? Of the the little I, girl. I, I think most of the paintings are her paintings in the film. I mean, she's in the movie. Oh, what, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's quite early. It's it's when they're in the park. Uh-huh. Um, it's, uh huh. It's 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 um after they've met, and I think he's got a no. No, it's after he's got it's it's um it's her Walter. And the kid, they're kind of on like a date in mm-hmm. the park, and he's like telling her stories and stuff. And there's a there's an older woman on a bench, and that's the real Margaret Keane. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. So the painting, yeah, the painting that they show in the film of the the little girl, kind of almost well looking over what you can imagine is like a kind of court like kind of pew thing, is the painting that Margaret painted in court. And I just like that is an aspect of it that just feels so uh i don't know like fat fat do you mean it feels so fascinating that it came down to this paint off in court like and like his kind of thing of sitting there for the whole time and then when he goes to like do a brush stroke he says he's like he's pulled his shoulder and stuff like that and it's like what an absolute fool the man is (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 quite something. Amazing. So as we yeah, as we as we wrap up the 
the chat on the film. Is there any other other aspects that we've well, missed? Well, I things? think it's one of Danny Elfman's best scores of, of the later Danny Elfman scores. One hundred percent, because uh, I say this in the, the best sense. It doesn't sound like a Danny Elfman score per se. Do you know what I mean? Like the opening is very Danny Elfman. Yes, do you, do you know what I mean? It, I don't know. It doesn't have like it's yeah, like I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel. I, I think because I associate a lot of this stuff like being quite gothic in a way. Yeah. Like this doesn't have that like to it. I kind of like as well, of... well, well, the stuff of the house kind of goes into Danny Elfman territory uh-huh. a bit. But well, also is because of the way they're shooting it, it looks like a Tim Burton sort of tree almost. Yeah, and there's like, um, I don't know, a lot of it is like marimba-esque stuff. And do you know what I mean? It's quite like, quite jaunty yes. and upbeat. Yeah, yes, it's all like sort of 50s loungy stuff, yeah. which is what we would have been playing. I love it. I love it. Um, and and, I, and I'm someone who doesn't necessarily like using acronistic music in period pieces, but I think the Lana Del Rey songs work quite well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, her stuff sounds like from that time anyway. Well, that is, Especially, yeah, especially she, those two songs. She's built up a career, right, of that being her aesthetic of kind yeah. of like a Norman Rockwell painting like of a yeah. woman. Like, <laughs> Yeah. But uh, they, they, suit, they suit the film very well. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, Lana Del Rey, she's kind of got uh, keen vibes to it. Do you know what I mean? She, you could imagine a keen painting of her. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure she probably was desperate to try to get one done. Before she, before, but maybe she got one done. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who, mean, who knows how many people have got these portraits hanging in their, in, in their houses uh, in the late great Margaret Keane. So um, anything else we've missed before we kind of get to scoring this film well you haven't mentioned danny houston well we, we mentioned him yes uh, i mean he, he's always reliable i mean he, he's always one of my favorites he's from good stock that guy isn't he? he's kind of yeah yeah he's, he's <laughs> kind of from a, a good a film family speaking of film family. yeah exactly exactly yeah one one that uh is often cited as being like the main rival to the coppolas as their kind of mark on um the the, the hollywood um i mean yeah, i've got the audiobook downloaded i downloaded uh larry uh grodell's book on the houston's but like i think i looked at how long it is and it's kind of like 38 hours or something like that and it's kind of a, like an absolute tome of an audio I'm, I'm reading the chimino book at the moment which is wild <laughs> yeah that's any, a wild book yeah anything that's kind of like i don't know i look at stuff and it's like 24 hours plus i'm like okay i've like i've got to, i've got to dedicate some time to this but um yeah he's fantastic and like it's nice i don't know he's kind of he plays a lot of like sinister characters especially nowadays so it's kind of yeah. good to see him as this like well i mean i mean the, the film that kind of brought him back he had i mean obviously he had directed uh mr right the anthony edwards movie in the 80s Oh, something. He, I mean, he was a director originally. Uh-huh. Following and then him. he moved into acting. But the, the film that kind of made him, people kind of saw him, especially in the film industry, is, is he did a film called Ivan's Ecstasy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've where had... he plays his really sleazy uh, agent who dies <laughs> of a cocaine overdose. 
I love it. I love it. Well, obviously, I don't love that he dies of a cocaine overdose, but like uh, that was Danny Houston's kind of revival. Yeah, and like I think a lot of people nowadays would like, what is he cropped up in American Horror Story and stuff like that in like recent times and. Uh, and Michael Clayton, I think he was Michael Clayton. Yes, and and Succession as well. He's uh, he's he's in a he's in he's in. Oh, a, is he in a Succession? Yes, everyone seems to be in that. Today. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. haven't got around to that. I should at some point. <laughs> yeah, and did some great stuff on TV as well. He's in um, Yellowstone as well. That I know a lot of people. Uh, oh yeah, 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 Yellowstone. Yeah. Rave about so. Um, one of the things I like to do on this podcast, we've we've peppered a few throughout the conversation, but it's kind of go through any other Coppola connections that are in this film. So is there anyone who worked in front of or behind the camera who had worked with the Coppolas elsewhere in their filmography? Did you manage to um, find any others, Ian? Well, let me have a, a quick look. Uh, I'm sure Tim Burton must have a couple somewhere. So Tim uh, Burton only has the one. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, um, directed uh, edward which stephanie schwartzman was the assistant to the production designer as did scott and larry with writing that script um amy adams <laughs> plays amelia eckhart in night at the museum battle for the smithsonian which jonathan schwartzman was the dop on and is in the road oh no which were and is in on the road which is produced by francis and roman coppola which Francis was going to direct. Yes, yes, and then uh, who, who? Walter Salis ended up directing that, right? Yes, Walter Salis, and um, uh, he he was going to have I think Johnny Depp and Brad Pitt. Okay, instead of who was Jared Sam Riley and yes. Garrett Hed uh, Headland. Yes, Sam uh, Riley's kind of I think the weak, weak link in that. Otherwise, <laughs> it's not a bad movie. <laughs> Sam Riley elsewhere. I, I, I think Sam Riley is putting some decent performances as well. He's a bit of a local legend around here. <laughs> Amazing. He, he was in a band called uh, Ten Thousand Things or whatever, who were quite big in where I live. So Amazing. Amazing. I've heard some stories about him. Um, so we have Christoph Waltz was in The Green Hornet, which Jonathan Schwartzman, again, was the DOP. And he's in The French, the French Dispatch, which Jason Schwartzman and Roman Coppola Oh, yeah. story by credit uh danny houston actually <laughs> plays bartender number two in leaving las vegas and emperor joseph ii marie antoinette which is obviously directed by sophia oh yeah coppola and he's in uh stolen the uh the oh yeah mid 2010s nicholas cage film directed by simon west um i think it's one of the ones nick singled out as one of the ones he liked yes recently. i i like that film i've i'm 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 an ardent defender of, of the film stolen <laughs> that, that's that's the new orleans one right there's a few new orleans ones yeah this one he kind of plays like a bank robber who kind of comes yeah, out of prison i saw an interview where he was like these six films i'm really proud of of that those 10 years yes yeah yeah I'm glad Nick agrees with me on that one. Uh, Christine Ritter uh, also starred alongside Jason Schwartzman in the Alex Ross Perry film Listen Up, Philip, which is oh, yeah. uh, she's fantastic in that as well. And Danny Elfman 
did the score for The Family Man, which stars Nicolas Cage, Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Free, which Jonathan Schwartzman, again, was the DOP, and Edward Scissorhands, which Stephanie Schwartzman was the art department researcher, again, connecting it back to Tim Burton. Uh, any others for you, Ian, before we... Well, the uh, Tony Dingman, who is the location scout, worked on... Let's see what he did. Uh, I did not know this one. Thanks, uh, Scott. I mean, Larry, sorry. Yeah. Okay, so Tony Dingman, um, he was, he also has acted in a couple Coppolas. Uh, he was, well, he was, he worked on, he was production staff on The Rain People, yes. initially. Production assistant on Poplets Now. Production aide on Hammett, the Tim Vendors film. Uh-huh. He was a talent liaison on Bumblefish. Uh, also, similar thing on Cotton Club, uh, Gardens of Stone, Defense Coordinator. Uh, same for Tucker, Godfather Free, Dracula. He was Mr. Coppola's assistant on Jack. <laughs> he was, his credit is Poet in Residence for the Rainmaker. Amazing. I love, I love that uh, he just like, it feels like Coppola likes him and just finds him a job for each yeah, film. Yeah, it very much sounds like it's, it's the case of that. I, I would assume they went to, was it UC, USC they went, or USC, UCLA? It might be UCLA, yeah, that, that. UCLA. I would assume he's one of the, one of, one of those, like, Cleb Dachanel and Lucas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not credited on IMDb, but I heard it from, from Larry's, Larry. So he he definitely was involved with the location. Amazing. I mean, yeah, imagine if it's a guy who kind of, if he was hanging about the zoetrope offices back in the 70s and stuff like that, uh, early, yeah, late 60s, early 70s, would would know San Francisco like the back of his hand. So even if it's kind oh, yeah. of in a, in a, um, I don't know, non non professional capacity, he definitely probably helped them out. I can, I can see that being the case. Um, so, let's rate this film and the way that we do that here on this podcast is we look at what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film so ian what would be the perfect wine pairing for well, obviously the guys? a coppola wine <laughs> i don't know what kind of wine they have because i'm not wine person but obviously it has to be a coppola wine are we going is it a white wine is it a red wine is it a rosé what are we going for like uh what kind of body are we talking about with this wine i think a white <laughs> yes white sure i think there's definitely yeah it would have um i don't know there is i think it would be a white wine. there's a, yeah aspects of being a white wine but there would definitely be a sharpness to it because i think there's a sharpness to this film and kind of like i don't know almost like a an aftertaste that is kind of like oh, there's like uh, white wine looks kind of light and fun on the on the surface, but then it's got this like kick in the taste of it where it's kind of like oh, there's there's something underneath all of this, which is very much like this story film. And um, how much are we paying for this wine? A.K. is the film good or bad? Is it a bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf? wine i i would say top shelf i think it's one of tim's best movies um 
And I, I think it's a really underrated film. I think more people should have seen it when it came out. I mean, I, I, I mean, actually, I'll, I'll tell you when I saw, I saw it um, when it, obviously the day it came out, uh-huh. uh, I actually interviewed Scott and Larry a few days before I saw it. Amazing. Like a week before uh, I reached out and interviewed them. Actually, I just published my interview with them. I, I did, I put it as audio when it came out. And I got a friend to transcribe it because I just couldn't be bothered to transcribe it. <laughs> um, but that, I'll send you the link. You can link it in the description. Amazing, amazing! Um, I look forward to read. Oh, yeah, I look forward to reading it. It's as a well. good interview. It's one of the first interviews I ever did, actually. Amazing. Years ago, it's like well, it was when the film came out, so at least <laughs> almost ten years ago. Um, but I, I, so when I saw it, uh, it had a really small release over here. Yeah, it, it was. It was like. A few days before Christmas, I think it came out. That sounds right. It was, it was, I think, almost the same release as the U.S. I think the but, U, yeah, U.S. would have been like November. 15th. It was Boxing Day. Oh yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. A boxing. So, <laughs> and I took my then girlfriend uh, to see it, who liked it. Uh, and actually, it's, it's my current girlfriend's favorite Tim Burton, actually. Um, Can see. See that? Well, it's a. So yeah, I I I I saw it like I don't know. Oh, put it say. So when I saw it, it was it, it was at at View in Leeds City Centre, and it was in what's known as Screen Fourteen, uh-huh. which is where they relegate art movies, <laughs> and it's the tiniest cinema in I think all of Leeds. Amazing, <laughs> and it Amazing. holds like twenty people. <laughs> Amazing. We have yeah, we have a fifteen screen Cineworld here and we have we have a couple of screens like that where they yeah. they just relegate like you get one showing you get one showing a week or maybe just one showing ever of like a anything that isn't a kind of blockbuster film. So yeah, <laughs> I totally I've I've been in many of those screens with a handful of other normally uh weird men like me. And also, I think there were some walkouts. There's like a fam, like someone brought like their kids. Oh, okay. And it yeah. was just like this film's not not saying kids can't see this film because obviously they can. If you're like a sophisticated kid, you'd probably like it. Yeah, but it's not really a film to bring your kids. To. Yeah, and I guess they'll just be th- bored. <laughs> you know, I guess it's that thing that at the time it's the new film from Tim Burton, and he had kind of carved out this niche of doing a certain thing that now he's kind of gone back to something that like i don't know was one of the uh yeah that re- almost that like, references something early on in his career kind of i don't know makes it all a bit different and they're kind of like oh it's not what i was expecting um yeah, well, I- I've, I've said this many times to people but the first ever r-rated film i ever saw was edward amazing <laughs> which is just such a weird one to be like your first film for like adults you've ever seen was edward not like die hard or like predator yes yeah 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 but- Edward, <laughs> <laughs> amazing! Well, they're, they're the kind of building blocks that make us the, the people we are today. And uh, it feels like, yeah, it, it feels like in a weird way, it's led us to this point right here, Ian. And I, I, I love it. Um, so, um, based on this film alone, are the Coplas the greatest film family of all time? Well, as Hollywood nepotism goes, I have much more time for the Coplas than most. Perfect. I'll take. I'm, I'm taking that as a yes. I'm taking that as a. You, you were very diplomatic with your answer. It was a very 
politician-like answer, but I'm taking that as a yes. I'm reading between the lines. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 I have a lot of time for the Coppolas. I've never heard particularly bad stories about the Coppolas. No. I've always heard they're, they're pretty nice people. I know someone who did phone classes dances. Uh-huh. and said he was, he was great. And I've always heard Nick's a really nice guy. So Yeah. I would assume Schwartzman probably said yeah, I, Sophie, Sophia put up with Quentin Tarantino for four years, so I'm <laughs> sure she's all right. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be more than four years they went to get out, but put up with Quentin Tarantino for that long must have been. And I, I say that as someone who loves Quentin Tarantino's movies, but going out with Quentin Tarantino would be pretty exhausting. Yeah, I, I I'm always reminded of that story that Fiona Apple tells, oh. of, like why she stopped doing cocaine was. <laughs> When, when when she was in a screening room with uh, Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson, whilst they were both like on blow, talking for like hours upon hours, she's like, "I'd never want to touch cocaine ever again in my life." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like Quentin Tarantino could talk at the best of times, let alone. I don't think he needs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Well, let's uh, wrap up this conversation. But before we do, I'll ask you a few questions. Uh, the first one being, which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmographies of the rest of the collective family. That's a very difficult question. I, I love that I'm asking it and not answering it. Um, it would probably have to be probably have to keep francis he's he's the og he made godfather the conversation the public's now rumblefish it would ha- and by keeping francis you keep nicholas cage so uh it's a rumblefish and uh, you keep that film the rest of nicholas cage's films uh star someone else <laughs> Maybe one or two of those should have starred someone else. <laughs> and I say that with much love to Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Kathleen Turner would agree with you on one of those points as well. Oh, actually, I have a very good Nicolas Cage story for you. Perfect. Let's hear it. Okay. Have you ever seen the film Miracle Mile? No. Is that, is, I, I think I know about it's about the end. Of, is it the one about the end of the world or something yes, like that? Yes. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Anthony I Edwards. Um, at one point, it was going to start Nicolas Cage. The same age, kind of at that point, kind of looks similar. They kind of look a bit like Jimmy Stewart, which yes. is what he was going for. And so it became pretty close with Nicolas Cage. I mean, they were about to kind of sign off on it. And basically, Nicolas Cage wanted to do his part. He wanted to reprise his part from Peggy Sue Gets Married. Amazing. And the director <laughs> and the writer. Steve D. Johnette was like, maybe not. <laughs> He's got form for doing that. He only did the the low budget um Arsenal. Of, yeah, or Southern Fury, if you're listening to this in the yeah. US. Uh which neither it neither has any Southern Fury or an Arsenal uh in it at all for to warrant either of those titles but yeah re- reprised a character who for all intents Died. and purposes yeah dead got his face put in a deep fat fryer so uh uh i i love his kind of commitment to, to the bit as it were with doing and stuff also like 
I would not be surprised if that's based off Tony Clifton. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's totally Tony Clifton. Yeah. So going back to Scott and Larry. Yes, there it goes. The connections all come back uh, eventually. So before I let you out into the world, Ian, I must ask you what is possibly the most important question on this podcast, and that is what does Scott, what does Bill Murray say to Scott Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Oh, it's, it's whatever they actually said. It was like forgot now. I looked it up, but I forgot it now. <laughs> it's like um, I'm gonna go, but I hope it's okay or whatever it is. I can't remember what it is, but it, yeah, it's it's very clear what they say if you've done the volume up a bit. Okay, okay. Well, it was it was open for interpretation for you to maybe. I, don't I mean, it's open you're... to interpretation, but <laughs> but it's pretty clear. That they, you can find out what they said without much hassle. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. A lot of people use it as a chance to make a cheap joke. You're a very literal-minded man, Ian, and I respect you for it. So um, if people want to catch up to date with everything that you're writing or, yeah, just your thoughts on stuff, where can people keep up to date well, with you? I have Twitter, sadly, <laughs> uh, under Psychotronic Cinema, because I had my previous Twitter suspended for saying nasty things to the right-wing grifter, Candace Owens. <laughs> uh, so I had to use an alias and now I'm probably going to be suspended again <laughs> some, some Candace Owens fan will buy my profile and report me for <laughs> impersonation someone who was suspended or something um, so so yeah Psychotronic Cinema was also my website where I, where I review stuff and some of my interviews are on there um, that's what the Scott and Larry one is um, and um, I generally review sort of older films, sort of cult films, which is what Psychotronic Cinema yeah. kind of stands for. But I, I review kind of whatever I get offered that looks interesting, not just like sort of like Arrow releases or like massive cinema releases, but whatever that looks interesting. But it's focused on sort of cult films. Um, I have started doing stuff for Film Hounds, uh, hopefully some more in the future. And for like more sort of general new releases, I've been known to do some for D movies. Amazing, amazing. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people will be checking out your stuff as 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 I will, and you'll you'll be back on this very here podcast in the near future to be yeah having a little we'll deep dive into Rock West. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming and making some Coppola connections with me. Thank you. There was episode 50 for you guys. Thank you very much for listening. And another massive thank you to Ian for joining me for this conversation. As you would have heard at the end of that conversation, uh, you would have all, if you want to hear Ian again on this podcast, you're going to have to go back to the previous episode to hear that because time is a strange thing. We recorded this maybe like 
three to four weeks ago and then we recorded our chat just last week on uh <laughs> on uh, red rock quest so time's a funny thing but um yeah if if you have any thoughts on big eyes that we kind of missed on what are your kind of favorite moments in it what do you think of jason schwartzman is he the perfect kind of guy to play this small role as this uh little little pernicious prick of a of a gallery owner who kind of looks down upon uh, margaret and walter Keane? don't hesitate to get in touch uh, with your thoughts on this film or yeah just just have a chat about the podcast uh, you can find me on all the social media so that is twitter instagram facebook letterbox and tiktok all at caged in pod or if you'd like to uh, drop me an email which you can do so uh, which is caged in pod at gmail.com Com. Uh, you would have heard at the front of this podcast, and I'm going to reiterate it now. Um, right now, you can buy yourself a copy of Red Rock West on Blu-ray and DVD via Signal One, uh, who were lovely enough to let me do a video essay all about Nicolas Cage's performance in that film. And it's something I'm super proud of. And um, yeah, I just want... I wish everyone could hear it and listen and watch it because it's I, I, I think it's I think it's really fun it's really great like uh, a review recently said it's funny and irreverent and I very much like to think that that is the caged in brand in a nutshell so that's that that, that warmed my heart uh, but yeah you can buy a copy of that or you can try and win a copy so if yeah uh, the question is what is my uh, what is nicholas cage's character's name nearly said it there what is nicholas cage's character's name in red rock west all you've got to do is leave a five star rating and review on apple podcasts uh just maybe write a little bit about the podcast and answer that question there and i'll pick someone at random who will win a copy of that set or if you've already left a review or you happen to not listen on apple podcasts or just have an android phone or have a pc whatever you can always um drop me an email uh, with the answer to that question and you'll still be vote you'll still be yeah your vote will still be counted or you can jump on the socials so over on twitter um all you've got to do is follow the page like the post really don't even have to like it uh, retweet it with what what is your favorite nicholas cage film or the same with instagram all you've got to do is like the post share it in your story and just just tag a mate in the in the comments and yeah for every mate you tag you get an extra vote and when you share it in your stories you also get like an extra kind of vote in vote yeah an entrant in, into winning so you can get multiple chances on that so you got three different chances to win a copy of this great release uh, something that i'm super proud of and kind of have been championing for its release for so long so i'm so glad that not only is it out there but i got to be a part of it so yeah um, a massive thank you once again to james and mark for for hooking me up with that and letting me be a part of something that i've kind of been been championing for years so yeah it's it's kind of it's a massive dream come true i guess i've kind of stepped on the whole thing of if you enjoyed this podcast or any other to rate review and subscribe but that all still applies it really does help and mean a lot to me kind of we're burgeoning at the time of recording we're burgeoning on like 54 
rating reviews on Apple Podcasts. I'd like to get that up to 60. I'd, I'd like to get it up to 100. I don't know why. It just, just, that really does get us in the charts and get us like seen by more people. And it's ever so hard in these days when it's kind of everyone and their mother, any celebrity who has even the, yeah, any celebrity can just go, you know what, I'm, I'm starting a podcast. You could be uh, an A-list actor. You could be uh, one of the best cinematographers in the world. And you'd be like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. And it, it very much does dim the light on some of us smaller guys out there who kind of been plugging away for years and kind of plugging plugging away week in week out to to provide you with episodes that i'm super proud of and i know that there's people in the kind of indie podcast community who plug away and release amazing stuff week in week out and take this as a chance to shout some of those guys out so some of the podcasts i absolutely adore and listen to on a regular basis kind of the day they drop an episode i'm i'm there listening there is as always my my brothers and sisters over at uh sudden double deep there is of course uh the uh, the, the pod chart cinecast um real familiar over there there's the spotlight boys um L- liam h dempsey is, is is a man who's got my heart uh, <laughs> uh is paul dano okay obviously um brethren from the uh, Southern Double Deep clan with their kind of side project. Um, Not Just For Kids podcast, a fantastic podcast. Ramblin' Amblin', the first W-rated. Who am I missing? Uh, The podcast nobody asked for. There's so many great little indie podcasts out there. And yeah, go out and support them, support this, support the things you love. That's something I'm very much a proponent of, is if you enjoy something let other people know share it i know it can be and i've been there myself uh if if there's something you love you want to keep it all to yourself but in this case and with podcasting it really does help if you tell people (laughs) so do all of that good stuff rate review subscribe like on all of the socials Uh, get involved in the conversation this this kind of thing doesn't really happen without kind of i don't know us all having a us all having a chat and sharing our love of films together and if you would like to support the podcast with a little bit of cashola, you can do so. You can sign up for as little as a pound a month over on Patreon. And uh, currently I am uh, doing the Caged in Book Club where I'm reading through the novelization of the Ghost Rider film. And kind of just, uh, it's like an annotated um, audio book. Just kind of my thoughts, opinions, silly tangents all types of fun stuff and there'll be guests coming along for that as well where i'll just be reading a chapter or two out of context and we just have a discussion about what the fuck is going on in that book and i'll be doing that season by season going through different ones the ones i have already so i have the conair one i have the face off one and i have the uh, wind talkers one all to kind of go through and i'm sure it will be a work in progress and a lot of fun so yeah head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod so as ever guys i've been petrus pat syllabus your guide through the crazy world of the copla family tree remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next time ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged in Coppola Connections, a Town Limerie, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.